today the Supreme Court voted 5-4 to four to legalize same-sex marriage in all 50 states. And here to talk about the fallout, we are joined by guest Dr. Don Carson for a special weekend episode of the Ask Pastor John podcast. And we will run long this time, about 20 minutes or so. Dr. Carson, I want to get your thoughts on some specifics about what today's ruling means for the church. Uh, But first, more generally speaking, what would you say to someone who came up to you and asked for your initial thoughts about the SCOTUS ruling? A lot would depend, to be quite frank, on who was asking me. If it were an unbeliever in favor of the decision and this sort of thing, then I would say I think that it is not well grounded in the Constitution itself. Really, it's taking the 14th Amendment and trying to expand it by appeal to uh, equal rights. And um, it's in some ways a bizarre ruling that probably will do damage on the long haul to freedom of religion and the First Amendment. Kennedy does have a paragraph in there about uh, the importance of religious freedom and this sort of thing, but follows it up with a sentence saying that where the exercise of that freedom seems to harm the rights of others, then government has the right to curtail it, which which really means, as far as I can see, that he wants the kind of uh, religious freedom that is allowed in church buildings and worship, but um, not in a broader cultural view. So, on the other hand, if somebody came up and were part of the loony right-wing fringe that is full of hate and raising money and this sort of thing, what, what I'd want to say is uh, don't buy into the secular culture's insistence that this is the, the inevitability of history. We know who's in charge of history. Uh, on the long haul, the truth will out. On the long haul, uh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Uh, short term, there are going to be some difficulties and challenges, but but this is no time for, for panic or resentment, and it is certainly no time for hate. We're still to love our neighbors as ourselves, and that doesn't matter whether they're gay or not, whether they're Muslim or not, whether they're sectarian or secular or fundamentalist or leftish or whatever. We're still to be a community of the transformed, of the redeemed. We will be courteous, we will be kind, and and so somewhere along the line we need to take great pains to make it clear that our views on marriage do not come from within a community that's merely traditionalist or merely old-fashioned or from a community that's driven by hate or judgmentalism, but it's tied finally to to what we hold to be revelation from God and uh, how God made us in the first place and, and how marriage is supposed to uh, mirror the relationship between Christ and his church. And, and therefore, regardless of what happens in terms of tax penalties or, uh, or anything else, or, or being criticized by the left or the right, uh, we simply don't have the option to change those values. From the beginning, it was not so. And, and so um, our stance must be resolve, uh, determination, perseverance, faithfulness, courtesy, love, displaying a better way, and, and recognizing that this is not the first time the church has confronted those kinds of things. Uh, in Rome in the first century, after all, although uh, homosexuality um, was not, so far as we know, hugely common uh, in every sphere of life, in some spheres of life, it was very common. And especially in the upper classes, it was very common. And um, Christians stood over against that, uh, uh, just as Christians insisted on the exclusiveness of Christ in a society that that uh, had many, many, many ways to God or to the gods 
and Christianity was a black-billed fan as being right-wing and, and narrow-minded and exclusivistic and hate-filled. And, and Christians, by the quality of their living, uh, gradually overcame those kinds of things, even though it took about three centuries of persecution to get there. So um, what, what will take place? Uh, who's to say? Uh, my guess is that there will be a lot of um, individual things now about taxes and education and exemptions and, and uh, marriages and what can be allowed and what can't be allowed and whether something's denominational or not denominational. So all those kinds of things, I suspect, are going to get tested in the courts, many of them all the way up to the Supreme Court. So we're going to be we're going to be facing uh, an array of challenges for years to come. And how that will all play out, well, I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. What I am sure about is Jesus is Lord. This is a time to be faithful and gentle and uh, firm and evangelistic and loving and principled and uh, not driven by uh, malice or hate or condescension or anger, um, but simply to be Christians. Amen. I want to talk more about religious freedom in just a moment. So this Supreme Court ruling today really opens up a, a big can of worms. Knowingly. And in other words, I don't, think, uh, I don't think they're naive about what they've done. Hmm. Would you say this landmark ruling today marks a new era for the church in America? I'm always nervous about these new era things, to be honest, because in some ways this is merely an extension of a change in public perceptions of anthropology, sex, science, uh, a lot of things. One could say that some of it begins with a pill. Um, we, we could say that some of it begins with Roe versus Wade. We could say that some of it begins with the loss of confidence in the heritage of, of a widely accepted, in some ways, Christian morality. So in one sense, this is just one more step. Those who have thought of America as being more distinctly Christian than it is, will view this as a massive new thing. And it is new in certain respects. There's noted about that. But it's it's new only in the sense that state after state after state after state has uh, insisted that uh, gays and lesbians can marry each other. And what has happened now is that this has been affirmed by the Supreme Court for the whole 50 states. Uh, and it, what, what makes it so desperately new? Well, not much, really, except that it's a little more universal. So it depends how you look at things. You can use it as a marker if you like, but uh, but there has been a, a transmogrification of perceptions about uh, ab about sex and anthropology and and fertility and uh, family and children and so on that has been going on a long, long time now. Yeah. What what would you say to Christians who feel angry right now and who feel betrayed by the courts for today's ruling? <laughs> I'd be inclined to say you haven't been reading your newspapers. Right. Yes. Um, in, in other words, this this was largely predictable. Granted, the decisions of the courts on recent decisions. I mean, I, I can't see how anybody who's well informed on recent history would be surprised by this. Betrayed. That language presupposes that we have always been a deeply Christian country, and um, our history is more complex than that. There have been some hugely wonderful Christian values in it, but some things of which to be ashamed, too. And in any case, the locus of the people of God is not America, and it's not Israel, and it's not Britain uh, in this new covenant age. It's, it's the genuine church of Jesus Christ. 
And so it really is very important to keep saying that our first allegiance is not to being American uh, or to being Western. Our first allegiance is to being Christian. We're Christ. And insofar as a gauntlet is being laid down to say, uh, choose between the Supreme Court and Jesus, we'll follow Jesus. And then whatever falls out of that in terms of uh, sanctions or a program or difficulty or or accreditation or tax exemption or whatever, um, we'll, we'll work those things through and try as well and honestly as we can to to uh, to handle them and if we lose on them um so the the, the apostles were glad because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name it's just not the sort of thing that is well answered by anger it's it's the sort of thing that is well answered by a certain kind of serenity confidence in god's sovereignty um, in his uh, ability to make us stand to be uh, wise persevering um, uh, clear on these matters and eager to teach the new generation in our growing up in our churches that we're not fuddy-duddies, that this is what the Word of God says, and that's non-negotiable. All right, this ruling hit on Friday, and Sunday is coming. If you were to preach on Sunday, what text would you choose? As it happens, I am preaching this Sunday at a church in uh, South Carolina that probably should remain nameless, but it's it's got two services, and between the services, they had asked me to uh, give a public lecture of about 50 minutes on current trends in culture. Well, probably in South Carolina, after this Friday, I can find one or two cultural things to comment upon. (laughs) Yeah, no problem there. So... um, it promises to be an interesting Sunday. Um, that in-between one is more of a lecture where I will end up with Acts chapter 17 and Paul's address to people who are biblically illiterate in his own day um, and who have all the reins of power and whose views are very different from his own. I will probably end up there. Um for the two morning services, I'm simply preaching from one of the parables. Uh, I've decided not to change the text um, as an evangelistic approach, partly because although you want to answer wisely and address the current debacle, you don't want to set your agenda by SCOTUS decision. It's it's important, but it was predictable. It doesn't change much. It merely... Um, universalizes trends that have been going on for quite some time. And so something has to be said, and in this case, they've given me an hour to say it. But the regular preaching of the Word of God in the morning services, I'm not going to change. That is really good counsel for pastors. Um, Back to religious freedoms. What do you predict will be the fallout from this SCOTUS decision for religious freedoms in America? I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. I'm not a legal scholar. My guess is that there will be fewer threats for churches than for um, parachurch organizations. Um, I I don't think somebody's going to come down and say uh, you 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 can't uh, you can't officiate at heterosexual weddings unless you are also going to officiate at homosexual weddings. I I doubt very much that that's going to happen, um, precisely because. Um, when things are really tightly tied to church, the First Amendment is probably still strong enough in the foreseeable future um, to to preclude um, uh, a, a decision that would take that away. Um, 
what what will be in jeopardy probably sooner or later is tax exemptions of a religious sort. And there will probably be more threat for, well, for example, tertiary education institutions, um, especially if they're independent. Uh, I suspect that they'll be a little safer if they're tightly tied to a denomination. But the farther out you go into the parachurch world, the Church of Rome will not seem in law to be exactly the same as um, an independent seminary or an independent Bible college. Um, There's going to be a a big shakedown before this one's over. Um, In the worst possible case, uh, the state could eventually bring in legislation that might ultimately be justified by the court that would treat Christian institutions um, the way Bob Jones was treated over its racism decades ago. Um, That is, uh, all financial support would be taken away. That's possible, but by no means inevitable or, or, or certain. Partly it was one institution, whereas in this case, there are thousands of institutions, and it's not just evangelicals, it's Catholics, it's Mormons, it's Muslims. It's a far more complex situation. And um, moreover, if, if that's the price uh, to be paid, then it'll be the pr- price to be paid. What, 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 what can you say? It, it should have no bearing on what Christians do. That is to say, um, we follow Jesus, we follow Scripture, and we will try to be courteous and respectful, but disagree with those who are redefining marriage in this way. And um, it's it's quite possible that, that the Lord in his mercy will bring along a change in the pendulum in the culture, even possibly reformation that could swing the country in another direction. Who, who knows? I, I, I have no idea. Um, but as it stands right now, it's hard to imagine that there won't be some shakedown that will affect some Christian liberties. Yes, I think that's probably right. Finally, you you travel extensively across the world. Um, As the international community watches so-called same-sex marriage become the law of the land in America now, how is the international community viewing the United States right now? And especially from uh, the perspective of the global church, what are they thinking? Well, it depends what country. Um, There are Christians in Canada, which is farther down the pike than we are, and in Scotland, who look at us somewhat bemused and say, why are you making such a big deal of it? I mean, we've learned to cope with it. Why can't you? And and there is a sense in which there are things to be learned by talking to Christians in in, in some of these countries that have gone a little farther down this this road than we have. What, what is more discouraging is is uh, oh, countries in Africa, for example, I, I could name, where increasingly American aid has been tied to uh, policies in those African countries that will soften their stances on homosexuality and the like. So in other words, aid is increasingly being tied to manipulation of uh, majority world countries uh, adopting our changing moral standards. There's something shameful, I, I think, about that. But I'm sure that those who support this decision view this as a way of using our um, financial power to, to do what is right. So uh, internationally, people are going to look at us out of a framework that will vary enormously from country to country. I mean, some countries are really very secular in their outlook. 
Russia is not going to be affected in, in the slightest uh, by any of this. European countries are moving in this direction or have gone farther than we have in this direction. Many countries from which we get aid that are in fact culturally more conservative, in some, t- in some cases uh, actually more Christian, some cases not, um, feel manipulated by the American government. It's, it's a, a complex set of reactions depending on, on what country you're talking about. The Muslim world will see this as further confirming evidence of America's moral decay. Much of the Muslim world um, thinks of the West as essentially and deeply sleazy. And um, who's to say that they're entirely wrong? On the other hand, it has to be said that at least in some of these countries, there is a lot of a double standard that's operating too. But it certainly gives grist for the popular press in, in their own countries. It does, yeah. And just to be clear, you're not just talking about ISIS and radical Islam right here. No, no, it's not just ISIS, but, oh, for, for, for example, the Wahhabis in, in, uh, or Salafism um, and just a lot of conservative Sufis and Sunnis um, view the moral standards of the West as being one of the least attractive elements here. I mean, they like our technical prowess and they like the jobs, and they like the technical skills and the science and this sort of thing, but are frankly appalled at the, uh, at the, the, the nudity and the sexual innuendo. And I've just come back from two Middle Eastern countries that will remain nameless and turned on their television and so on. It's amazing what they block. And, and I have a certain amount of sympathy for what they bleep out and block just because it's, it's sleazy. Uh, it is sleazy. And and uh, so this will confirm their perception of American sleaziness. It sure will. Dr. Carson, thank you for your time today. That was Dr. Don Carson speaking with us from his office at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Illinois. Dr. Carson is the author of many wonderful books over the years, and most recently he served as the general editor of the forthcoming NIV Zondervan Study Bible. We'll be talking more with Dr. Carson later this summer on the Ask Pastor John podcast. For everything you need to know about this podcast, go to desiringgod.org forward slash Ask Pastor John. Thank you for listening to this special episode. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. We return on Monday with John Piper.